name is Bob Lee. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to thank you for joining us on this long weekend. Uh, typically, we have people who are going away, and we also have people who are visiting as well. So thank you so much. Again, if you're new and you'd like more information about our church, head over to the lounge after our service. Someone will be there to, to help you out and get connected and just answer any questions. Feel free to come talk to me after service as well. Uh, for some of you who are new or haven't been here in a while, you may not know, but I've been gone for six weeks on a, a sabbatical. And um, just a picture of some of the things we did, my family photo. Two weeks, we were actually in Korea. First time for the kids to go to Korea. This is in front of one of the palaces. I don't know which one it is, but we visited a couple. And uh, it's sort of like a dream vacation in the sense that this may be the one and only time all eight of us can go together to something like this. Because as the kids, older kids get older, they get jobs, they have other things, responsibilities, summer school, sort of tough to arrange something like this. Um, so we had a wonderful time. Great time with family, uh, great time, great food. I'd love to share with you anytime, you know, in terms of what we experienced. And so again, thank you for your prayers and encouragement and support. And as we come back, or as I come back now from sabbatical, uh, I think people are asking me this question. And maybe you intend to ask me this question too. Next slide, please. Do you feel rested, right? A sabbatical is a time for people to go away for a while and just uh, get recharged, refreshed, come back rested. And some people have already asked me this question, and some of you who are going to ask me this question, let me just give you a heads up. It's sort of complicated, and I would say no. I don't really feel rested, but I feel ready to come back. I don't know if that makes sense. I don't feel so much rested, but I do feel ready, and I missed you all, and I'm ready to come back. And let me explain. Um, we had two weeks in Korea, which, as great as it was, was just somewhat stressful at times because of language barriers, trying to get around. It was go, 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 150% humidity, you know, all those kind of things. And then come back, it took me like almost two weeks to recover from jet lag. We were wide awake at four in the morning, regardless of what time we went right, to bed. And then we had just moved before we, I went on to sabbatical, so we hadn't even really unpacked and settled into the home. So we were unpacking and then getting the kids ready for school. So I don't feel rest. But I'm grateful for the time off because it gave me the bandwidth, the margin to really sort of tackle these things that I would have had to tackle anyway. But I had some extra breathing room so that I can come back and I'm just ready to hit the ground running. Let me ask you this question on this Labor Day weekend. Do you feel rested? Do you feel rested? On a scale of 1 to 10, without just saying it out loud, just evaluate yourself. On a scale of 1 being low, 10 being high, how rested do you feel today? And chances are, you probably don't feel all that rested based on statistics and surveys and different things that I'm reading in the news. In fact, many of us here today may be struggling with burnout. Now, you may have had an Instagram-worthy vacation just a month ago in Europe or in Hawaii or in Asia somewhere, but now a couple of weeks have gone by. Uh, back in the rhythm of work, school, life, relationships, ministry, and you can't wait for that next vacation. You can't wait for that next long weekend. You can't wait for that next sabbatical. You know, there's something in us that we're always sort of feeling like, I'll feel rested when, you fill in the blank. I feel rested when my kids sleep through the night. <laughs> I feel rested when kids go back to school. I feel rested when this project is over. I feel rested when, when I have a few more direct reports to, you know, handle some of the other duties in my company. I feel rested when our company finally goes public and, you know, I no longer have to stress about all the stuff getting it ready. We always sort of put off rest as a situation or something that's going to happen if something changes. But we're a little bit older and wiser, right? 
And we recognize that we may think that way, but life happens. And oftentimes we never feel rested because again, if we're always looking for that vacation or that time away or that long weekend or for that situational change to happen, oftentimes something else comes along and we don't feel so rested. So how can you and I get some rest in a season where people are burning out around us? Well, this quote by Carrie Newoff has actually been resonating with me before my Sabbath, uh, during my Sabbath, and even after my Sabbath. And he's a former megachurch pastor. He's a leadership guru. He's someone who's really sort of speaking into my life these days, sort of my virtual mentor through articles and books and things. He says this in terms of getting rest. Your time off can't save you if the problem is how you spend your time on. Let me read that one more time. Your time off can't save you if the problem is how you spend your time on. Meaning if you're living that unsustainable pace, if you're not building margin into your life now, if you're not, again, finding a way to find rest daily, then your time off, as great as it is, it won't really help. And you know this because you've been there. You come back from vacation. You come back from breaks. And you can't wait again for the next one because you're already tired. I'm going to start a new message series today, and I want to spend a few weeks, and it feels appropriate on this Labor Day weekend, and especially as I come back from my sabbatical, just, again, redeeming, talking about redeeming rest. What is rest from a Christian point of view? What does it mean to practice the Sabbath? And so I want to take a few weeks, and again, if you're feeling tired or burnt out, overwhelmed, depressed, discouraged, this is a message series for you. So you came on a right Sunday, and I encourage you, if you can't come here in person, watch online as we unpack this over the next several weeks. And today we're going to look at a familiar passage, but one of my go-to passages. Whenever I'm discouraged, whenever I'm tired and burnt out, this is a passage I always come back to. It's one I've memorized. It's one I'd encourage you to, to post somewhere, especially if you're feeling tired today, about finding rest in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. The verses will be on the screen, but feel free, if you want, you can look in your paper Bibles, your phones. Feel free to do nothing at all. And you know I mean this sincerely, especially if you had a bad church experience, especially if you're new to church, it's been a long time since you've been in a place like this. We just hope you have a great experience. Come back again, get to know us, get to know this Jesus whom we love and whom we follow and in whom we find real rest, true rest. So with that being said, we're just going to look at a few verses today. So Jesus is speaking in verse 28, to the multitude, to the crowd. He's talking to religious leaders. He's talking to you and me today. Those of us who are tired, those who are feeling burnt out, wrestling with this. Jesus says in verse 28 this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me. This is not a demand. This is not like some authoritative sort of like dictator yelling at you, Come here, right? You see, throughout the Gospels, it's an invitation. Jesus knocks on the door of our hearts. He doesn't manipulate us into being with him. He doesn't control us. He doesn't demand it. He invites us gently, lovingly, when you and I are ready, to come to him. And really what he's speaking in this passage, really about, just to give you a larger context, he's contrasting the difference really between religion and a relationship. Next slide, please. Religion is all about what you do. In fact, it's the law. The law is all these things that you had to do in order to be in good standing with God. It's all these things that we feel sometimes, even as followers of Jesus Christ, we have to keep doing, doing, doing in order to be right with God. That's religion. 
Now, there's some benefits to that. But what Jesus spoke on over and over as he spoke against the legalism and the hypocrisy of the religious leaders, he was talking about a relationship. If religion is doing, then a relationship is all about being. Being in a relationship with Jesus. And in this relationship, he wants you, he invites you and me to come to him. He doesn't force us, he doesn't manipulate us, but he invites us every day, all the days of our life. And here today as well, he invites you. If you're here today, he's inviting you to come to him. And then who is he inviting? (laughs) All of humanity is encompassed in this next part. All who are weary and burdened, all who are discouraged, all who are lonely, all who are burnt out, all those who are overwhelmed, all those who, again, are shamed, all those, again, who are struggling, all those who feel like hypocrites sitting in a place like this. He invites us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I mean, just it's like a, a picture of a loving dad opening up his arms and, and he sees his broken, messy, dysfunctional kids and he says, come, I want to embrace you. And that's the picture we have here. And again, depending on where you grow up and what type of religious environment you grew up in, some of us, we project this image that's not actually true upon Jesus and upon God, that he's this angry God. And you know what? He's inviting you to come. He's not inviting, he's demanding it because he wants to punish you for all the things you've done wrong. That's not Jesus. That's not the Bible. That's not Christianity. So read your Bible for yourselves. And then he invites those who are weary. And then what's the promise when we come to him? as broken as we are. And by the way, notice here, he doesn't say clean yourselves up, dot your I's, cross your T's, make sure you get your life in order, right? Be a good moral person before you come to him. He goes, no, you come messy, broken, dysfunctional. This is why it's called the good news. You come with your doubts and fears and shame and guilt and he'll take care of the rest. He'll help you change. And the promise here in this context is he will give you rest, I will give you rest. The Greek word that Jesus uses here for rest, according to Kerry Wyatt Kennett, is anapazo, which means to give intermission from labor or to refresh in order to recover strength. You know, we all have different definitions of rest, so it's often helpful to point out in the original language, what did Jesus mean by using that word rest? Here it means like an intermission, a pause, Maybe not a complete stop, but at least a pause. And the whole point of, uh, point of this rest is not, again, just to get your you know, yard work done or just, again, to help your kids with your homework, as important as that is. But his rest that he gives us is so that we can refresh ourselves, to recover strength, to get a right perspective and purpose. Like I said, I don't feel necessarily rested like, ooh, you know. Like if I was in Hawaii, just on the beach doing nothing, you know, in the shade, you know, having a nice drink, you know, that that kind of rest. I don't feel like that, but I do feel ready, ready to tackle the challenges, ready to just sort of jump back in, ready to be with you guys. And I think that's the rest that Jesus offers all of us. Not necessarily our circumstances change, but he, his spirit in us gives us strength. True rest, I'm going to say this a few times, is found in Jesus alone. And the reason why some of us don't feel so rested today might be because you think true rest is found in that getaway in Europe or somewhere else. True rest is found in some circumstances changing. True rest is found when my kids finally, you know, go off to college. True rest is somewhere else, but it's not. True rest, we find real rest. Life-giving rest is found in Jesus alone. And then Jesus continues to explain. He doesn't just leave us there. Sort of explains what we have to do 
Because right, real life works that way, right? What are the details? How do we do this? It's not just a statement. You and I want to know, well, how then do we find this? How do we get this from Jesus? Well, Jesus doesn't leave us hanging. He explains in the next verse this. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Now let me pause here for a moment because for us today, when we hear the word yoke, uh, it means the yellow thing in the middle of an egg. Or when we hear the word yoked, we think of that guy or gal who is like, you know, a professional bodybuilder, right? <laughs> very muscular. So the word yoke here actually means, according to Life Application Bible Commentary, it says a yoke is a heavy wooden harness that fits over the shoulders of an ox or oxen. Oxen means more than one ox. It is attached to a piece of equipment that the oxen are to pull. So a plow, a cart, some sort of farm equipment. And then continuing, since Jesus was a carpenter, And since carpenters in those days produced and repaired farm equipment, Jesus was quite familiar with yokes. Now today, again, when we talk about it, you can Google a picture of it later. It doesn't really make sense. But to people back then, it made a lot of sense. It was an essential piece of equipment and something they used every day, much like your phone, your car, or any type of piece of technology that we rely on. So what does that mean? Because Jesus wasn't talking about a literal yoke here. Many of us, again, who are familiar with Jesus' teaching know that he used these kind of images to, as metaphors to point out a steeper spiritual truth. So on one level, this yoke means the law, the things that the people were required to do. And the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 15, verse 10, in describing a yoke, says this, Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. He's talking about the Old Testament commands. And Gentiles are non-Christians who are non-Jewish people who are coming to know Jesus. And he's saying basically, why are we requiring them to keep the old law when we are now saved by faith and grace and all these kind of things? So on one level, it's a picture of religion. So there's some good things to that. But again, he's saying, Yoke is like that. It's like, you know, it's again, it's a picture of religion. All these things you have to do. And again, not about this relationship with Jesus. But on another level here, this yoke means, for those of us, again, who know Jesus already, it's really a picture of control. Because you put a yoke on an animal or animals to control them and it direct them to get them to do certain things. And for many of us, we don't want to be controlled. We feel like we're the master of our destiny. You know, we want to be in charge. We want to do our own thing. The Bible calls that sin. Sin is not just being a horrific mass murderer, committing genocide somewhere. Sin is just basically missing the mark of, again, doing what God wants us to do because we want to be in control. And whether we realize it or not, we have a yoke on And when we want to be in control, we try to do our best, but then as a result, we're burnt out. We're discouraged. We're overwhelmed. And then we we think, again, we're like, some of you may be new to church, like, yeah, I've got no yoke on, you know, I'm in control. Well, do you realize you're only one heart attack, stroke, variation of COVID away from no longer being in this world? Do you realize you're just one car accident away from being no longer in this world and going to meet your maker? We're not really in control. Let's just be honest with ourselves for a moment. As much as you and I want to be in control and there's certain things that we're responsible to do and we should do, we're not in control. I don't even know if I'm going to be here this afternoon. 
Because I'm not in control. You're not in control. And what Jesus is saying here is, take off our yoke, this attempt to control things, and surrender control to him. That's what it means to take on his yoke. It's not a physical like piece of wood we got to carry on and sort of like drag ourselves through life. No, it means surrender control to Jesus. And what else does he ask you to do? And what does that look like? Well, he says, learn from me. He wants to teach you. He wants to show you and me how to live a life with purpose, how to live a life that others will envy and emulate, want to emulate, how to have an amazing marriage, how to raise godly kids, how to be financially responsible, and how to find real rest. All these things he wants to teach us. When we surrender control, we take his yoke upon us. Learn from me. And then how can we trust him? Again, some of you have had bad religious experiences, bad church experiences. Some of you have come out of cults. Some of you grew 